KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, May 3rd. More injuries at the border. We'll have more on that next, but first... Let's do the headlines. Civil rights lawyers and the ACLU Foundation of San Diego and Imperial County filed motions yesterday asking the court to require the San Diego County Sheriff's Department to take immediate steps to address dangerous and deadly conditions in its jails. A scathing state audit released in February concluded that the Sheriff's Department had failed to adequately prevent and respond to the deaths of those in its custody. In 2021, 18 people died while in county jails. There have been eight deaths so far this year. San Diego has seen a decrease in its population for the first time in over a decade. There were more than 1,100 fewer people living in the region in July of 2021 compared to the year before. The decline represents only a fraction of a percent of the population, but it could still have major impacts on the region. Statewide, California lost more than 115,000 people in 2021. It made for an overall decrease in the population population for the second year in a row. The San Diego Humane Society and the CDC announced a partnership on Monday with the goal of helping Ukrainian refugees crossing the U.S.-Mexico border to bring their pets with them. The Humane Society transported the first dog from Ukraine across the border at the San Isidro point of entry this weekend. Humane officers are available to transfer more dogs as needed. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Doctors around the region are seeing an increase in the number of people injured when attempting to go over the border wall. Since 2019, there's been a five-time increase in the number of people severely injured at the wall. That's according to data analyzed by the San Diego Union-Tribune. Dr. Vishal Bansal, director of trauma surgery at Scripps Mercy Hospital, spoke to KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman about the increase. Here's that interview. So what can you tell us about the injuries you've seen from people who have fallen off the border wall? Sure. So there's two components to that question. The first component is the injuries that we see falling from a border height 
are mostly orthopedic in nature. So long bone fractures of the leg, of the lower leg, of the arms, also of the spine. We're also seeing traumatic brain injury. We're seeing thoracic and abdominal injury. Uh, so we're seeing these, and, and that, even though there may be some increase in severity, that's not much different than what we've seen in the past. The real difference is just the pure number of patients. The volume of patients has increased to levels that I've never seen it, and I've been taking care of trauma patients in this county since 2005. So it's been, it's been an enormous increase in volume, which to me has been uh, a real shocking situation. And how serious have these injuries been for the people who sustain them? So it's been a combination of uh, mostly discharges, uh, some of them needing prolonged hospitalization and length of care, and some patients actually dying. You know, parts of the border wall were increased to 30 feet in 2019, as we mentioned, uh, from heights of 8 feet in parts and 17 feet in others. How do the number of people getting injured now and the seriousness of these injuries compare to what you'd seen before the border wall height increased in 2019? So I want to be clear, even though there seems to be some degree of a temporal relationship, it also corresponds with an increasing number of migrants that are entering the country through um, uh, areas that are not ports of entry. So it's hard to know how much of the increase in injuries are secondary to an increase in border wall height versus just the number of pure migrants that are actually crossing. Uh, and we don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, I'm aware of the, the data that was published by UCSD, but we don't exactly know where these patients have been injured. They could be injured in areas that aren't exactly that high. They could be areas and injured that might be lower. So it's hard to control for that. So we can't definitively say that the number of injuries is secondary to an increase in border wall height. There's probably some degree of truth to that, but I think that probably the majority of the number of the increase is directly related to the number of migrants that are trafficking across the border, uh, more so than the height itself. How are these patients impacting the hospital and medical staff? We all know that the COVID scenario has impacted hospital care. Uh, in terms of the number of nurses we have, the number of physicians we have, OR availability, ICU availability. So we've already been faced with that degree of reckoning. This adds to that. So these patients have um, almost quadrupled to the number of injuries that we've seen in the past. The majority of these patients require significant operative intervention with many, many days in the hospital and also many trips to the operating room. So it adds a real burden to our overall health care. We've already had nursing shortages. We have operating room shortages. This adds to that. Um, We find ourselves doing these really significant surge situations. We find ourselves canceling elective cases so we can just manage the sheer volume of these patients. So it does impact overall health care in our hospital system, and it does overall impact health care in the trauma system as well. What do you see as the solution to this problem? I don't know. I don't know. The one thing I would ask... Uh, our public officials, and if I had any ask whatsoever, it's to increase the level of funding so we can actually operate on these patients in a timely manner and be able to do so uh, without impacting our other health care costs and our other health care availability. So extension of um, hospital operating personnel, extension of anesthesia services, extension of operating services so we can manage these patients in a timely fashion. And that was Dr. Vishal Bansal with Scripps Mercy Hospital, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. 
on May 1st, undocumented Californians 50 and older became eligible for Medi-Cal. As many as 235,000 people throughout the state may now be eligible for health insurance. KPBS border reporter Gustavo Solis has more. People who now qualify for Medi-Cal are covered for dental, vision, mental health, and preventative care, among many other services. Ana Melgoza is vice president of external affairs at San Ysidro Health. She says this Medi-Cal expansion will benefit the people who need it the most. We know that 50 and above is important because of the chronic illnesses many people uh, live with, like diabetes, high blood pressure, asthma. And if they go untended, then the quality of life and the lifespan of an individual gets shortened drastically. The organization is ready to help undocumented Californians sign up for Medi-Cal. They can talk to multilingual staff who are ready to help them register online by calling 619-600-3000. Gustavo Solis, KPBS News. San Diego Unified is facing a renewed challenge to its vaccination mandate that begins in the summer session. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman spoke with a law professor about the suit. Starting this summer, San Diego Unified students ages 16 and over will be required to be vaccinated against COVID-19. The district is mandating it where there's full FDA authorization, which right now is just those 16 and over. Joanna Sachs is a professor at California Western School of Law. She specializes in health law and reviewed the complaint, which now includes four San Diego Unified students. One of their arguments is, that these teenagers have all gotten COVID-19 and so they have natural immunity and so they can't get it and they can't spread it to other people. But that's not true because one of them has already had it multiple times. Sachs doesn't see the lawsuit prevailing, especially as California does not allow for religious or personal belief exemptions when it comes to vaccinating kids in schools. And that was KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman. Attorneys representing the families say they're confident that they'll win this case, not just for their clients, but for all students with religious exemptions. Military leaders say they're conducting research to learn more about long COVID. That's cases of COVID-19 where symptoms continue for months. Preliminary studies suggest millions of Americans are suffering from long COVID, and service members who have it say it's threatened or ended their military careers. Andy Hirschfeld reports for the American Homefront Project. Kara Gormont is the former chief of staff for the Defense Health Agency. She dedicated her career to helping keep service members healthy. Then, in November 2020, Gormont developed long COVID. She learned firsthand that the military at the time had no process to deal with it. I mean, I truly felt very abandoned um, by the healthcare system that I had, you know, at that time given 28 years of my life to into fixing and um, nobody believed me. Nobody believed that I was sick. Nobody believed that I had COVID. A year and a half later, she's still experiencing an ever-changing wave of symptoms. Those include gastrointestinal problems and brain fog. And my doctors themselves didn't know what was going on. I didn't have an established um, plan of care with them. They didn't necessarily agree what was happening. Gourmet says she tried to keep working. She couldn't keep up with the demands of the job. She wanted to take medical leave, but found that difficult. She says she felt judged by her colleagues and that maybe she wasn't tough enough to push through her illness. Eventually, she left the military. 
it was traumatic. I'll just say that it was a, a, a heavy, heavy trauma that I'm going to live with for the rest of my life to be alone and abandoned. Although Gourmand is the senior most official we spoke to, she is far from alone. About half a dozen people on active duty across the armed forces spoke to us anonymously out of fear of retaliation. They said they worry that if they seek help for their cases of long COVID, the military will force them out of their jobs. That's echoed by recent reporting from the Army Times, in which some soldiers said the same thing. Pentagon leaders say troops with long COVID should come forward. The Defense Department says it has the resources to help, including physical, emotional, and cognitive treatments. Air Force Colonel Jennifer Garrison is the Assistant Director of Staff for the Defense Health Agency. The good news is a long COVID clinic has been established in San Antonio where there is a high population of Department of Defense beneficiaries. We are also managing many individuals in primary care, mental health clinics, and other specialties based on symptoms related to COVID. The military is also continuing to study the problem. Last year, the Naval Medical Research Center began researching the long-term effects of the virus on Marines. Kathy Morgenstern is with Survivor Corps, a group for people who've dealt with COVID-19. She says that with time, the military seems to be learning more. It seems like the military is actually um, coming around and understanding that there is something called long COVID and, and people suffering so much from their symptoms from that, that they're allowing people that are in the military actually take time off. At least that's what we've seen from our side. Morgan Stern says it's good that the military is researching long COVID, but that doesn't do a lot for service members who are dealing with it right now. The Pentagon has not released statistics on how many troops have long COVID symptoms. In New York, I'm Andy Hirschfeld. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The state's longer wildfire season is leading to mandatory overtime for its firefighters. During wildfire season, that could mean firefighters are working 40 or more days nonstop. That's why Republican State Senator Brian Jones, who represents a wide swath of rural East County, co-authored a bill that would add more than 1,100 firefighters to CAL FIRE. His district is one of the most fire-prone areas in the county. So we need to prioritize this expenditure and get these fire departments staffed, restaffed back up and then expand their staffing so that we're ready for these fires when they happen again. Cal Fire's union supports the bill. It's currently moving forward in committee pending the governor's May budget revision. If passed, it would go into effect next year. A settlement has been reached over a controversial proposal for an apartment complex in Encinitas. The city has come under fire from Attorney General Rob Bonta for turning down an affordable housing development. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more. The Encinitas Boulevard apartment project sits near the busy intersection of Encinitas Boulevard and Rancho Santa Fe Road. Dan Vaughn is with Encinitas Residents for Responsible Development. He opposes the plan. What he's proposed is what they call a wrap design. So this is 
apartment buildings wrapped around a six-story parking garage. So the project is literally a car-centric project. And Vaughn says residents living in the rural community of Olivenhain are concerned over traffic jams in case of fire. The city denied the permit in November, and residents thought the project was blocked. But then the developer sued. Last week, the city and developers reached an agreement. Revised plans for the project will be presented to the city council on June 8th. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. Coming up, Filipino folklore, 7th grade bad luck, and San Diego come together in a new book that comes out today. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. San Diego author Tracy Badua's debut middle grade novel, Freddy vs. the Family Curse, comes out today. It follows Freddy Ruiz, a cursed 7th grader who is resigned to a life of bad luck. That's until he rediscovers a family heirloom that gives him a little hope. KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans spoke with Tracy Badua about the book. Here's their conversation. This book follows 12-year-old Freddie, who has struggled his entire life with the uncanny ability to faceplant in front of classmates. If something could go wrong for Freddie, it usually would. Can we start by having you read from the very beginning? This is when we first meet Freddie and his luck. Yeah, of course. So starting from the very beginning in chapter one, there's nothing more heart-stopping than the wheeze of an empty glue bottle the night before a big school project is due. Come on, come on, come on. I shake the bottle and squeeze again. Not one glob of grade-saving adhesive, not even a drop. I chuck the bottle toward my trash can. It sails clear over the heap of school uniforms on my bed, past an ankle-high stack of old notebooks and worksheets. I miss. I thump my forehead down on the desk and sigh. My eyebrow lands in a wet smudge of green paint. The curse. Got to be the curse. Like straight black hair and those little chicken skin bumps on my upper arms, bad luck is in my jeans. Thank you. So the Ruizas are a Filipino-American family living in a multi-generational household. What made you want to write about these characters? 
Well, you know, kind of the easy answer is it was writing what I was used to writing what I know. I grew up in a household where I had my grandmothers stay with us for long periods of time. So it was nice to be able to kind of draw that into the story to show that, you know, it was my parents and it was me and my brother. And then, you know, my grandmother kind of hanging out with us and, and, and watching us and keeping us out of trouble. So that's something that I wanted to reflect in this book. Because I knew not a lot of folks, at least when, you know, where I grew up, had this kind of multi-general aspect in their household. It was always like, I'm going to go visit grandmother as opposed to, oh, our grandmother lives with us. So luck is the centerpiece of the story. And with it, superstition and Filipino folklore. This anting-anting is something that Freddie finds Can you tell us what he then learns about the Ruiz family curse and about his great-granduncle Ramon? Yeah, so this is, of course, not a spoiler because it says, you know, right on the back of the book that the amulet does have the ghost of his great-granduncle in it. He finds an unting-unting. So in the book, it's in the form of a gold coin that's on a leather string. So it's a little bit like a necklace. Um, But it really, you know, in kind of general Filipino practice, it could be almost anything. But in the story, he finds it and is like, yes, finally, I've got a good luck charm. I can get rid of this family curse. And his great granduncle pops out and is like, oh, sorry, that's not how this one works. It's actually going to make everything worse. So now you've got 13 days to, you know, banish this family curse forever, or you're going to get stuck in here with me. So that's kind of the rundown of what he has to deal with when he gets this unting unting and it just ends up upending his life and putting a time limit on it. So you set this book in San Diego and you're a local here. I'm wondering what this journey has been like for you writing your first book in and about San Diego. It was fantastic setting it in San Diego. And one of the things that I think is a little bit fun is that the book actually starts out in the middle of a storm. So, you know, fellow San Diegans would probably know that maybe that's not as uncommon here. We'd maybe like it to be so we could get a little bit more rain. But the fact that it starts out with rain in San Diego kind of sets up that feeling of, oh, there's something a little bit off here. Tracy, thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. This was a pleasure. And that was KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans speaking with Tracy Badua, author of the new middle grade novel, Freddy vs. the Family Curse. The book comes out today and Tracy Badua is celebrating with a book signing at Mysterious Galaxy at 6 o'clock tonight. And that's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.